We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. In the hands of waiters, three seconds left for three in the win. Yes! Welcome to the Road to Wire NBA podcast. It is Tuesday, June 29th. Nick Whalen joined, as always, by Alex Barutha. Uh, Alex, we are brought to you by WinBet, winbet.com. Please continue checking them out. It's a great site. A ton of betting content there, especially if you're in the States uh, where betting on WinBet is legal. Uh, but they are the presenting sponsor of the pod, and we're glad to be on board with WinBet. Uh, the, the podcast schedule that we're beholden to, Alex, has not necessarily played well because when we're recording on like late Tuesday afternoon, there's always a game that starts like two hours after we record. So we never want to go too deep on what is now tonight. Um, another, a, another iteration of Bucks Hawks game four. Um, so I don't want to, I don't want to like do a two hour deep dive on Bucks Hawks only for us to find out that Trey Young tweaks his ankle two minutes into the game and everything we said is, you know, completely moot, but we could talk about the series as a whole, as we've kind of been doing all along and talking about game three, This was a game that it feels like if this exact game transpired against the Nets or maybe even against the Heat in round one, like the Bucks probably fold. You know, the the, the Hawks get off to this incredible start. They're making everything. The crowd's going nuts. All the momentum is kind of shifting towards Atlanta. I I think they pushed the lead up to 11 or 13 at one point. And the Bucks just kept battling back. You know, all of a sudden it's at eight and then it's at seven, then it's at five. Then maybe it's back up to eight or nine, but they were always hanging around. And then finally, Atlanta's offense stalled. Of course, part of that was Trey Young uh, stepping on the foot of a referee and tweaking that ankle. And I I guess now it's technically a bone bruise on his foot. I I don't know how that works. But that coupled with Chris Middleton putting up 20 points and, you know, having one of the hottest stretches of his entire career at a perfect time puts the Bucs up 2-1. And I I feel like the confluence of Milwaukee gaining some confidence, Trey Young being banged up, Bogdan Bogdanovich being banged up. I, it does feel like if the Bucks take this game tonight, they'll be really be on the cusp of probably closing it out in Milwaukee on Thursday. Yeah, the Bucks should definitely feel like they're in the driver's seat here. Um, you know, the Trey Young injury sucked the life out of the building. You know, you mentioned like the Hawks were making a ton of threes in the first quarter. Like I couldn't believe what I was watching at halftime. I could have swore they were shooting 50% from three. Maybe they were. I didn't check exactly. They finished at 41%. Um the, I mean, the Bucks. yeah, Middleton saved the Bucks, which is, you know, something that I'm surprised doesn't happen more often in the postseason, uh, considering he's kind of the guy down the stretch that it's sometimes easier to go to than Giannis. Um, I, I, I think Giannis has played really well in this series. He's cut down the threes and the jumpers. He's going to the basket a lot more. Um, I, I guess one of the things that stuck out to me, um, aside from Danilo Gallinari look like, uh, looking like an MVP candidate, was how bad Drew Holiday looked. Um, yeah. And it feels like he's due for like two of these games. Like like I every series or something. It's just like he he was awful. Um, I know he had 12 assists and one turnover. But like his shots were just uh, bizarre. They were bad looks. He was missing, you know, some easier ones. I don't know kind of what's going on with him. Um, but I that's that that's one thing that stuck out to me. Very true. I mean, he played two of his better games, I think, of the playoffs. He was really the only Buck, I think, who played a really, really good game 
in game one. Giannis was fine by his standards in that one. Um, but it felt like they they had wasted a really good Drew Holiday game uh, in, in that game one loss. And then he came back, played very well in game two. I mean, that one was a blowout basically from the first quarter on. Um, so you, you can't put a ton of stock into that. But yeah, this this felt like a a Drew Holiday against the Brooklyn Nets type of game that we saw. Yeah. It felt like four times in a row in that series. And, you know, it's one thing for your shots to just not be falling. But like, as you alluded to, I mean, it, there, it's just like a very undrew Holiday way to play basketball, like the the way that he's going two of 11 from the field. You know, he was 0 of 3 from 3. Those, those were all decent looks, but like nobody has ever said, you know, Drew Holiday, you know what he needs to do more is is ISO one-on-one and take long step back twos. Or, you know, he just seems like he's forcing things. Um, and we didn't really see that. I, I felt like all that much during the regular season. We, we certainly didn't see it too often, you know, when he was in New Orleans. Um, it, that's what kind of makes it so bizarre to me is, is you would expect some of that out of Middleton. You'd expect some of that out of Giannis at times, but Holiday's supposed to be the guy that is always even keeled, is is always kind of slowing things down, making sure you get a good shot. And instead, it, it feels like there's been a lot of times in these playoffs where he's been the number one offender in terms of forcing things on offense. Yeah, and for me, it's hard to, like, wonder. I, I wonder where that comes from, you know? Does he feel like um, he has to step up in a way? You know, does he feel like he has to get his as Booneholes are telling him to get his? I, I, don't, I don't really know. He had such a good, you know... Um, he has such a good first game in the series. Um, I, he'll, he'll bounce back. Um, I've also liked the reemergence of Bobby Portis. Yeah. Um, I was, I mean, he, he, you know, last game, 15 points on 12 shots. He's looked great as well, but I, I don't know there. I I think there are some more interesting things on the Atlanta side. Like that's where all the storylines are coming through. Right. Right. Because. John Collins picks up a bunch of fouls early in this game, basically gets benched. I, I don't know if he played in the fourth quarter. Um, you know, he was doing a bad job guarding Giannis, kept hacking him. Capella only plays 28 minutes. You mentioned Trey Young's injury. Bogdanovich goes 3 of 16 from the field. It's just going to be, I think, tough for the Hawks to recover. I mean, they have to win three more games in this series. I'm not sure I see that happening. Yeah, it definitely feels like it's heading that direction where, you know, I, I think especially if Trey Young comes out and just doesn't look like himself tonight um you know I, I think it'll just be chalked up to you know this is just another team that's you know decimated by injuries as the playoffs go on and you know that'll that will partially be true if that is how it plays out because Trey Young was almost single-handedly keeping them in that game for three and a half quarters and and you know he checked out I think late in the third and came back early in the fourth and clearly wasn't himself and and, and like I said at the top I think you know not only is it tough to to weather any storm against a superior team like the Bucks when your best player is hobbled but you know, they don't, it's not like they have a, a campaign type, which is actually insane that I'm even using his name in this context, but it's like, they don't have a campaign or a Reggie Jackson who you can say like, all right, well, you know, even though this guy is, is hobbled, we, we have this spark plug off the bench. And, and if he gets hot, you know, if he hits five or six threes, maybe we can stay in it. Like their options behind Trey Young at point guard are pretty bleak. And part of the reason for that is the guy who would normally step in and be the number one playmaker. If Trey Young is out of the game or is limited is also limited in Bogdanovich. So you know, I think you're right that some of the more interesting storylines do lie on the Atlanta side. Um, like when you look at Milwaukee, like we've, we've talked all playoffs, like what are the adjustments? You know, it's, it's always like, you know, Bud's doing a bad job coaching. He needs to adjust. Like there's some strategy adjustments you can make. But in terms of the pieces that are on the court, I mean, they're essentially down to a seven and a half man rotation right now. Brent Forbes played seven minutes in game three. Bobby Portis, you know, was, was out of the rotation at times against Brooklyn. I, I think they really have like six, six and a half guys who they trust Connaughton being the sixth. Um, and beyond that, you know, there, there's just not a whole lot of like roster type of tweaks um, that they could make game to game. Whereas, I mean, with Atlanta, it, they're going to have to get a little bit creative. And I, I don't know, assuming Trey Young is not fully himself in this game, which I, I feel like is a pretty safe assumption. And, and we'll see how this goes when we recap later in the week. But I mean, is it Lou Williams who has to step up? Because if, if it's not him, I mean, you're asking an awful lot out of Kevin Herter, a banged up Bogdanovich, you know, John Collins, Capella. Those guys don't really create. Yeah, I mean, it pretty much is Lou Williams because they aren't, you know, I mean, they're not going to play Chris Dunn at this point. Um, no. Like, I think the only way Chris Dunn will end up playing is if like Trey Young, like does not see the court, you know. Um, yeah, I, I don't and, think Chris Dunn replaces anything that you're missing if Trey no, Young isn't playing, you know. no. Yeah, the, the offense is the problem there. Like, you have to, I guess, try to go through Herter, you know, more Gallinari, kind of weird 16-foot post-ups that he's made his career off of. Maybe try some John Collins stuff. But, 
Yeah, offensively without Trey Young, you know, they they lose their identity. You know, it's like it's like if you watch the Mavericks without Luka Doncic or Luka Doncic not on the court, it's kind of like, you know, I mean, at least they have Jalen Brunson, right? Like they have someone they can turn to mm-hmm. to kind of just like hold things down, run solid offense. Um, and like you mentioned, normally this would be Bogdanovich for Atlanta, but with Bogdanovich playing so badly, you know, he's the Bucks are probably just going to play him like he's not a threat at all. Um, and then Herter can only do so much offensively. Like he's a good, he's a better passer than people, you know, acknowledge, but he's not, he can't carry an offense, obviously. I mean, unless the opponent is the Philadelphia 76ers, I, I well, mean, I, yeah. and can he do that for, like you said, three more victories in the series? Probably yes. not. No, it's, I, I think the way that this is trending, the Hawks are probably going to bleed out over these next couple of games here. Um, I mean, obviously if you're Milwaukee, you need to avoid injuries on your side, which is a big part of the reason that they're in the position that they are in. You know, they, they Miami didn't really have uh, injuries that I felt were all that consequential, but you know, they were big beneficiaries in round two. I think they were going to beat the Hawks no matter what, but it, it certainly helps to be the much healthier team. Um, and we, we've kind of seen that I think on the other side with Phoenix as well, obviously Chris Paul, Missed those games due to you know the bizarre COVID absence, but other than that, I mean they've been pretty healthy, and and that certainly helps as you as you go from round to round. Um, anything else on this series before we switch west? Uh, no, I I don't I don't think so. I'm I, you know I, I just echoing what you said. I think this is yeah. I think the Hawks kind of bleed out here, which is unfortunate, you know, because they they have put together an amazing season. Um. And at the very least, you know, I, I assume they're going to lose this series, but I mean, this year or next year and moving forward, like they're, they're going to be a legitimate threat to, mm-hmm. you know, playing the NBA finals seemingly for the next like few years at this rate. Yeah, I, it's going to be really interesting. I mean, I, I, in some ways I wouldn't be surprised if it, it is somewhat of a one-year blimp just because, you know, there, there, there's so much talent in the East, you know, like it's going to be like Milwaukee's not going anywhere. Brooklyn's not going anywhere. I think Philly's going to have a, a pretty good chance to reload around Embiid, and and if they trade Simmons, maybe be even better. Um, like the the path isn't going to be there for the Hawks to just like get to the East Finals every year, but I think they've now they're probably now like have they jumped into like that first tier for you? Like we always talked about Milwaukee, Philly, Brooklyn, and I think like Miami and Boston were right there. Like to me, they're they're now firmly in that Miami Boston tier, and you know if you're just going on recency bias, like maybe maybe they're the team that you would like most out of those three. Yeah, I mean, I think they're, you know, they're a tier below Brooklyn and Milwaukee. I don't know what to do with Philly at this point, um, but they might be like they might be in like a tier of their own. I'm not really sure um, because, you know, the team is young too, relatively speaking. Right. Like right. Trey Young's going to get better. Uh, DeAndre Hunter is going to not be hurt. They still have Cam Reddish on this team. Like they have a lot of guys this season who just ended up not playing like Okongwu has given them some good minutes. Um and who knows what they're going to do with Collins if they, you know, maybe sign and trade him. He's playing really well in the playoffs right now. Um, but I think I think they're in a really good spot moving forward. And like maybe this is a one year blip with like how, you know, them beating the 76ers. Um, and, but I don't know. I mean, they're they're going to be a threat, I think, for a long time. For sure. For sure. And I, I think they have room to grow. I mean, this is really the first year that this core is together. Like you got, you didn't really get anything out of Capella last year. He was dealing with that injury after the trade. Obviously this is Bogdanovich's first year. I think Herder took a big step forward. You got virtually nothing out of Chris Dunn who would, I mean, I don't know. I, I thought he would play 15 to 20 minutes and be really good defensively. Yeah. I mean, that that's certainly a piece that you could use. Got almost nothing out of Cam Reddish. He was hurt all year. Um, you know, it, it almost feels like a lot of things went wrong for them and, and they still ended up in this position. And they're also a team that has flexibility going forward. Like you said, they, you can kind of go either way on John Collins. Like if you sign him, you're going to feel good about it. If you let him go, I, I think I, you know, he's, he's been a, a nice piece for them in these playoffs, but I don't think if they don't have John Collins next year, you're all of a sudden like, oh man, the Hawks, you know, they just can't compete anymore. Like he, he kind of feels like that could go either way and you're going to feel pretty good about it. And then, you know, they also have all their future assets. You know, they're not a team that right. has had to leverage a ton of picks to get to where they are. So I they, I feel very similarly about them as I do in the Suns or due to the Suns in the West. Obviously, they have the Chris Paul situation, which which is very unique, just given his age and what he means to them. But at the same time, it's like take Chris Paul away from the Suns. Yeah, they're probably not a title contender next year. But that also doesn't mean that I, I all of a sudden think like Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton take huge steps back next year either. Yeah, I mean, the, they're. The Suns aren't set up for sustained success the way the Hawks are, I don't think. Just because, you know, the the guy who is elevating the Suns to this level is 
you know, um, I, I mean, I guess past his prime, you know, what, how old is yeah, 35, 36? I think he's 36. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, you take him away. I don't think they do as good, but again, um, I mean, <laughs> they were, <laughs> the, since he's come back, uh, in this Clippers series, they have, they have struggled. So that's, that's been bizarre too. They certainly have. Yeah, this is uh, this is kind of a multi-level transition over to Suns Clippers. Right. <laughs> I feel like they blew a huge opportunity to close this out at yes. home. And I I just could I cannot wrap my head around the fact that the Clippers are doing this. Like they have I played. Know. They've played what now? How many games without Kawhi? Six. Yes. More than that? Seven. I mean, they, they have played like almost every single game that I feel like they've played really well, given the circumstances. Like they have not had one game where they just no show. And we've seen virtually any other team, you know, the, the Lakers lose. Anthony Davis and they're all of a sudden they're down 30, like midway through the second quarter. Like most teams, like if you took away Giannis from the bucks, I do not think that, that they would be like up, up five at halftime against the Atlanta Hawks or against like virtually any team. Like it, it's just amazing to me. And, and I, I've said this on the pod a couple of times now, like, especially the fact that it's the Clippers, like the, the one team that we thought was like this mentally softest team of any team in the league is the one that loses the one guy on their team who we think is really mentally tough and Kawhi Leonard and all of a sudden, you know, Reggie Jackson stepping up. Marcus Morris was incredible last night, especially in the first half. Luke Kennard has come alive. Uh, I mean, the, the way that they have, like, reversed the script on their season, like, multiple times throughout these playoffs is absolutely insane. And, like, it, it just feels like every game now is 50-50 regardless of the opponent with them. I agree. Like, I, I think they're up to seven games now because they, they've played five in this series yep. and they played yeah, the two. Right. I still can't believe, if we're going back, I cannot believe the Jazz blew that opportunity either i mean now it looks more you know like now that the series you know is is uh three two uh suns like the the fact the clippers are doing this to the suns makes it less embarrassing for the jazz i guess um that they weren't able to close that series out but yeah i mean this this continues to be like really shocking to me i i think i picked suns in five and i was like not gonna worry about it um you know again because like you you mentioned like who paul george's stock was again falling right like it was is not at all time low but still very low and like who was a true believer in reggie jackson right like they brought zubach back in the series and it's been effective um he didn't even play last night it's bizarre crazy crazy what's Um, what's more what's the most unlikely uh component to all this for you like is it is it reggie jackson playing really well is it marcus morris playing really well is it paul george stepping up when when like you said his stock was I think preparing to hit maybe an all-time low. Um, I mean, what? Maybe it could be a confluence of these things. Like, what has really stood out to you the most? I think it's Reggie Jackson, twenty-two so a game, too. twenty-two a game in this series, and he's efficient. Um, yeah. Like this was, you know, I guess Paul George. Again, his stock was low, but he's been he's been an All NBA player. He's been a top, you know, two MV top five MVP candidate. You know, one year he's been an Olympian, um, or was that the Olympic trials? I think I he just, got hurt in the FIBA. Yeah. Yeah. Like in the lead up to it. Anyway, uh, Reggie Jackson was like his career seemed like it might be close to over to like not like over over, but like he was never going to be he was never going to start again. You know, he's going to come off the bench upside as a six man. If you had told me Reggie Jackson, we average like 20 points a game in a playoff series and potentially do like an upset victory. Uh, I, I would be I'd that doesn't even make sense to me. I, 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 there's not even a word for it. Um, I, it's unbelievable, especially with Chris Paul back these past two games too, right? right. Like, like you, you think Chris Paul's defense would, you know, kind of shut him down or it's just, it's unbelievable. Yeah. I'm with you on the Reggie Jackson component. I mean, he's barely making, he's making like under two and a half million dollars this year. And what is, I mean, what a time to be on a one year deal. Cause he's going to make a hell of a lot more than that in a month or two. But Last seven games, 22.6 points, 3.9 assists, 3.9 rebounds, 1.6 steals, 3.1 made threes per game, shooting 50% from the field, 38 from three, 84 at the line. I mean, it's he's been there. There hasn't been like one game in there where he's had like six points on one of six shooting. Like he's been legitimately good. Like all seven of those games, he's been a major factor. I I forget who tweeted it last night. I, I tried to go back and find it. Maybe I imagined this tweet, but somebody said like, is there has there ever been a time where a role player like Reggie Jackson has stepped up and carried a team in the playoffs hey, over multiple games like this. I, I can't think of anything like I my the, the first thing that came to mind for me was like, I think Shane Battier, didn't he hit like five or six threes in one of those finals games for the heat? I, I want to say it might've been game seven 
against the Spurs that they won. I mean, uh, there was a game where Mike Miller, I think, hit a bunch of threes against the Thunder. Like, the role players have stepped up. Booby Gibson for the Cavs back in the day. Like, there's been, like, these one-offs, but there's never been – I don't think there's been anything like this where where a guy has stepped up and been this good for essentially the balance of an entire series now. I mean, off the top of my head, I can't think of one. But, I mean, he's been I mean, he's been great all playoffs. Like, yeah. you know, it's it, it's it's been a, it's been the whole time. Even when Kawhi Leonard was in, he was still, you know, making things happen. Um, it's so it's it's just really bizarre to me. Like it, it, he was such an afterthought um, in like the, the you know, the trade that uh, or did he he just got signed there? I can't quite I remember. Just, it. I think he was just signed. I, I'm not even sure. I, oh, I think he just signed like a veterans minimum type of deal in the offseason. Huh? Well, I mean, either way, this is incredible to me. And the thing is, like, you know, I. I still think the uh, the Suns win this series, and part of the reason, you know, like on a game to game basis, you know, we do our we do our handicapping the NBA article. I just keep picking the Suns, and half of my Same. reasoning is like Reggie Jackson can't keep doing this, and it's like it, he just <laughs> keeps proving everyone wrong like every single game. Right. I mean, it's 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 him. It's Morris. It's the entire Clippers team. Like I've I've yeah. been doing the same thing. I'm I'm riding a, a multi game losing streak on on the Suns are covering these lines because. There, uh, it, you just think it has to stop at some point. And I mean, the Suns have been so consistent and played so well with or without Chris Paul. And, you know, all of a sudden now, I mean, I I, I think I would still pick the Suns to win game six in L.A. It, it, it still feels to me like they are clearly the better team with no Kawhi Leonard. This is Kawhi Leonard who is not playing. Like it would be it would be totally different if it was Kawhi playing and Paul George sitting like that's that's the other thing that's so baffling to me. Like This is, you, you know, you're, you're, it's not even like Donovan Mitchell or you know, Jason Tatum, like somebody who's in that, I don't know, like eight to 20 range of best players in the league. Like this is like the third or fourth best guy in the entire league is out. And a guy who is super clutch and always, you know, can get you baskets pretty much anytime he wants, especially late in the fourth quarter in playoff games. And it just hasn't mattered. It, it's really unbelievable. And that leads me, that leads me to the question. If the Clippers do pull this off, if, if they're able to come back from three, one win game five, game six and game seven against Phoenix, would this be the most unlikely finals run ever? I mean, I'd have to go through more, but it's, I, I think it's, uh, it's probably, it, it could be, it's a strong contender because like you mentioned, Kawhi is a top, you know, like you, some people might think he's like the second best player in the league. I like sure. there were, there were points. There's been points in NBA history where we're like, Kawhi's the best player in the NBA. Um, yeah. and he didn't do a lot this season to, to, you know, making you want to feel too differently. So like, yeah, it could be, especially, especially when you consider, you know, uh, he goes out and then it's just like Paul, the maligned Paul George steps up, Reggie Jackson, you have Terrence Mann, uh, like playing real minutes again. It's like Batum out of nowhere, Kennard, you know, can, is like mm-hmm. bear some playing. Sometimes he'll come in and hit a few threes. Um, it's just such a, it's a team full of guys who like individually, you would have almost no faith in whatsoever. But I I mean, is this just a, is this a Ty Lue coaching job? Is that kind of what we're seeing here? I think so. I, I said that to, to Kenny Ducey, who was on the pod last week. I think Ty Lue is the biggest winner out of all of this. I mean, the, Reggie Jackson maybe will be the biggest monetary winner uh, this offseason. But I, I think, I mean, I still, you know, I, I'm, I don't consider myself like a coaching expert by any means, but I I was very skeptical of Ty Lue. You know, I, I think it's like, yeah, he got the title, but, I think a lot of coaches probably win that title with that Cavs roster. And I mean, he has more than proven himself now. I think just winning the Utah series alone was insane. And I, I think they could have gotten swept by Phoenix and people still would have thought he did a great job. And I mean, to fight back in the series, even if they lose on Wednesday night, I, it, this this whole season, like the, the vibe around the entire Clippers organization is is a complete 180 from where it was, you know, when they're down 0-2 to Dallas or when they're down against Utah in the second round where, you know, you're starting to look at like, what is even the future of these guys? Is Kawhi coming back? And now, like, weirdly, like, Kawhi is just somehow an afterthought. You just feel good about the rest of the roster. It, it's I, We keep saying it, but it, it just really is unbelievable. And to, to answer my own question on the take, I, I think this would be by far the most unlikely finals run, right? I, I mean, maybe they have to win it to complete it, which I, I really don't think would happen. But I don't know, man. Like, it, can you think of the last time it, it's really felt like there was a team that just, like, was a, like kind of like a, an NCAA tournament, like Cinderella run to the finals. Like this just doesn't really happen in the NBA. No, especially like I, I almost like didn't even, I wasn't even factoring in that first round. 
um, where they like almost lost to the Mavericks. Yeah. And like after that, it was like who was who would have faith in the Clippers after they almost lost to the Mavericks? And again, like they lose their best player. Yeah, I mean we we keep repeating it, but it's like you're you're right. Um, it it really is just so unlikely. And um, I, this is sort of a uh, sort of a sidebar, but if you're a Bucks fan, do you want to do you not want to see the Clippers now? Like how you how you approach <laughs> this? Because like I was thinking about this question. before. It's like. I would still want to see the Clippers if I'm a Bucks fan and I'm in the finals. I'm like, yeah, like I, I, I just for some reason, I'm just like, you know what? I, I assume the regression of the means going to come in the NBA finals against, you know, my favorite team. But I, I don't know. I do. You, are you in the same page? I, I am on. I, I would rather see the Clippers. Right? right. But I think if you were the Suns, you would have rather saw the Clippers, right? I mean, I think you would. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You're watching that Utah series, and you're like, please, like, please come back and win this. We'll 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 wipe the floor with this team with no Kawhi, and now here they are. I we'll see. I mean, I I think the tone complete could completely change if they if this run does finally fizzle out on Wednesday night, and the Suns win by 20 and and you know kind of coast into the finals. Then maybe we'll feel differently. But I mean, I I don't like whichever team comes out of this. If, if you're the Bucks and and they do end up beating Atlanta, like I don't. Even though I, I think the Bucks will be favored in Vegas in either series, I don't think that they would feel. I, I don't I, like as a fan even. I wouldn't feel super confident. Like I, I would feel okay about it. Like you're not playing LeBron and Anthony Davis, or you know if you're playing the Clippers, there's no Kawhi. But I, I certainly wouldn't feel like it's like a, a five game series. Yeah, I mean, I, I would bet on. I guess I would bet on the Bucks to win the series against the Clippers, but I would not bet on them to win the series against the Suns. I guess is the best way for me to put it. Like I, I, I would be more worried about the Suns just because I, they're still the more complete team. Um, you probably wouldn't get good value on the, on the Bucks against the, the Clippers, but yeah, man, it's um, I mean, hey, it, it would, I, I, it would be amazing if the Clippers ended up winning this series. The Bucks, like, I mean, at that point, if you're again, like, if you're in the same boat as me as a Bucks fan, you're like, oh my god, like we barely escaped the nets. We got beat right. up Atlanta and now we're playing the Clippers without Kawhi. Yeah. That, yeah. Then the question becomes, is this like the easiest path to the finals of all time? <laughs> like your, your biggest test was round one against the Miami heat. Yeah. Um, I, either way, the bucks are going to be outmatched from a coaching perspective. Right. And I, I think that's, <laughs> that's probably what concerns yeah. me most. It's like, you're either getting like the hottest coach in the world right now in Ty Lue or a coach that everyone knows and, and respects in Monty Williams. And a team that essentially has like the number one coach on the floor in the league. Like that, like I, I still think the Bucks are the better team of, you know, what if it's Bucks Clippers or Bucks Suns, the Bucks are the better team man to man. But I, we, we've seen coaching, you know, make a big difference in any individual series. And I, there's something about that Suns team that it, it, I could just kind of see them exploiting a lot of the weaknesses that, that Brooklyn was almost able to exploit. And that even at times Atlanta has been able to exploit. Yeah, I certainly think uh, either of these teams could outcoach uh, the Bucs. Uh, you know, <laughs> Bugenholzer is, uh, I guess, the third. He, he's, he'd be the worst coach that gets the NBA Finals. Yeah. Um, other than if the, I mean, if the Hawks somehow pull this off, then Nate McMillan would be the worst of the two. But yeah, I think I, I think it's possible the Bucs get uh, outcoached and still win, especially if against the Clippers. But um, again, yeah, you mentioned, I mean, Chris Paul, you know, him being able to exploit things on the court, that's huge. Um, that's why I wouldn't, again, I, I would not um, have a ton of faith in the Bucks beating the, the Suns in the finals. I would still pick them, but I wouldn't, I would, I would not have a high confidence level in it. Final thing on this before we move to Lillard trades, but the one that the other thing aside from coaching that would worry me is the Bucks are shooting 31% from three for the playoffs. This is now, you know, well beyond a trend. Uh, they're, they're just not a good three point shooting team at this point. And, you know, you remove Chris Middleton from the equation. Like how many, how many guys do you really trust on this team shooting a three? Like Bryn Forbes, is that, uh, is that about it? Like they, they went from being this like juggernaut, like everybody can shoot it. You know, they're, they're piling up points, 40 point quarters left and right the last couple of years to somehow they only have two trustworthy shooters on the entire roster right now. That's a good point. Yeah. It's, um, it's kind of bizarre. I mean, it's, I don't know, man. Like you're right. If if Middleton's not out there shooting threes, then you know, like Holiday, I don't trust Holiday anymore. Holiday's no. you know 29. I I still think Boogenholzer uh, should play Forbes more. I would like to see more Forbes minutes. Like I know he's, I know he's bad defensively. He's kind of a matador, but like it, it like 
he puts pressure on opposing defenses by being willing to just launch shots from three all the time. Like Forbes in the playoffs right now is averaging 15 minutes a game and he's taking five threes in those 15 minutes. Um, like he's out there launching and I'm okay yeah. with that. Like he's, thir- he's 38% on threes in the playoffs and Bobby Portis is 36% by the way. Both of those guys were 45% three point shooters in the regular season. And Bud is just like not that interested in playing them when the Bucks like cannot hit a three to save their life aside from Middleton. Um, that's part of the reason I've kind of harped that, that there needs to be more Forbes and Portis because Portis is a better three point shooter than Lopez. Uh, Forbes is better than Connaughton from three. Um, you know, it's, um, I, I just think they need to play those guys more. That's, that's kind of my answer to the question, but the fact that they, the fact that they've gotten this far with such poor three point shooting is shocking to me. I, yeah. Some of that speaks to how dominant Giannis can be when he's in the paint and when he's, when he's not shooting threes. And he actually, I mean, when you think about it, he's a huge culprit of that low three point percentage. Cause he's taking four a game at 19%. Right. Um, but yeah. Yeah, that's when you look at the like the wide open threes, the Bucks are still at 31% from the playoffs. And and I think Giannis is an even bigger drag on that um, because pretty much every single one of his threes yeah. is is considered wide open. So he's dragging that down a ton. But yeah, man, I, and even like I'd like to see more Connaughton. Like you said, he, he gives them some shooting. He's definitely not a, a knockdown shooter by any means. Like he's he's like a hot and cold guy. He's either going to go three for four or he's going to go 0 for five. And, and that's, you know, over the course of a seven game series, like, I mean, Middleton, for as great of a player as he's been and as awesome as he was in game three, like he's had some atrocious shooting nights in the, in these playoffs. And against a formidable opponent like the Suns, a healthy, formidable opponent, you know, if, if Chris Middleton is 0 of 9 from three and Giannis is probably 0 of 2 or 0 of 3 and Holiday's 2 of 6, like that's I don't think that's going to be enough. Like even if the Bucks are the better team, even if they're dominating in the paint, um, you, you know, you can't you can't make eight threes and have the other team make 16 and, and expect to make that gap up, you know, every night over the course of seven games. Right. And to do that, most of the time you have to have excellent coaching in terms of oh, while we're not making our threes, we have to hunt mismatches. You know, we have to run uh, stuff that, you know, allows like <laughs> get Lopez in the post a little bit. Cause he, if he gets hacked, he's going to make his free throws. It's just like stuff like that, that they, they don't consistently do, but the thing about this series is like Atlanta is not a team you like they don't they don't throw any bizarre defensive schemes out there right like they're not like trapping at half court they're not switching a ton like the Nets were they're a pretty straight up defensive team they have their rim protector they have guys they'll you know they they don't really again they don't switch too much and so the Bucks are, are I think kind of getting away with being able to play their to some extent like the, their regular season basketball and get away with it more than they would against a team that is more willing to be aggressive and kind of experimental defensively. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I want to move to Damian Lillard trades. So much like we did last week uh, when when I was reading out Ben Simmons trades to you and James, uh, I've compiled a bunch of Lillard trades. Some of them I made up myself. Others I have gleaned from 
the like thousand articles that are out there listing trade ideas. Uh, I will read the trade package. You tell me uh, your thought on it. And if you're, let's let's see, what would be the best way to do this? Let's say if you're you're Portland, that's that's the role you're playing here. If you're the Blazers, do you accept this trade? If so, why or why not? Okay, I'm game. Okay, that was that was like super poorly phrased, but you, you get the point. <laughs> All right, we're going to start with what I feel like is is the most obvious or maybe the more likely, just because we're, we're talking about two guys who are huge names and are both you know, potentially very much on the market within the next few weeks. Damian Lillard to the Philadelphia 76ers for a package centered around Ben Simmons. You're probably throwing in Tyrese Maxey. You're probably throwing in Matisse Thybul. You're probably throwing in a pick or two, given the, the way that Simmons value has been deflated. Um, but But that's the gist of the trade. I think I probably say no. So I okay. Part of the thing, part of the thing that's tough too is like, is is Portland trying to tank? You know, like if you trade oh. Lillard, are you still trying to be competitive? That's part uh, of the equation. Some some of these, the answer would be yes. Some of these, the answer would be, you know, because we, we've seen some teams over the years, especially teams in smaller markets. And I don't know where Portland stands on this. My guess is they'd be okay with a mini rebuild, but some teams just are are like desperate to stay relevant. And, you know, Ben Simmons at least keeps you semi-relevant. Um, I mean, one thing that I thought of here is like, what if what if both these teams just scrap everything and say, we'll give you Simmons and Tobias Harris. You give us Lillard and McCollum. That would be interesting. Yeah, um, I don't know if that really makes any sense for either side, but I mean, it's it, it's out there. I don't know. I, I don't think Tobias Harris is is untradeable. If I'm Portland, my concern about getting Simmons is that my starting center is Yusuf Nurkic, and that yes. doesn't solve any issues. Like that's that's Embiid and Simmons kind of all over again. You know, I would want to yeah. trade Nurkic, which probably means you're tanking because at that point you're getting 75 cents on the dollar, 50 cents on the do- dollar for two different players. Um, <laughs> and Zach Collins broke his foot again, so he can't be your stretch five. Um. So I, I think if I'm Portland, I say no here. I, I like the idea of it, but it would also probably require me to trade everyone else on the roster mm-hmm. too and just full on rebuild, which I'd probably be okay with at that point, but is it's a lot easier said than done. It's not NBA 2K where you can be like, okay, well, I you know, I traded damn hey, I'm gonna trade CJ tomorrow, I'm gonna trade Nurkish the next yep, day, I'm yep. getting rid of Covington. Yeah. Yeah, much easier said than done. But yeah, I, I think Philly will be a willing trade partner if, if Portland's willing to cooperate. Uh, how about the Knicks? This is the other package uh, that, that's been out there. Um, RJ Barrett, Emmanuel Quickly. You could maybe throw Mitchell Robinson in there, kind of take your pick of, of any of these recent uh, Knicks draft picks. And then you're, you're obviously forking over several future picks because, I, I mean, you know where I stand on RJ Barrett. I like him a lot. Um, he, he's definitely not in that like elite young player, you know, future all NBA type of guy that you're probably looking for with Lillard. I mean, he could, he could very well get there in three, four years, but he hasn't shown enough that he commands that kind of value just by himself. You're, you're throwing in at least probably two or three future picks. Um, and even at the end of the day, I, I don't know if that's enough. What would you say if you're Portland? I think I'd say no. I don't think you're at the point where you can sell Barrett to the fans and be like, Hey, this, you know, this guy can kind of take mm-hmm. the keys. Um, and I would need like every pick like every first round pick from the Knicks possible. Um, Cause I think the Knicks would be willing to do that. It's just the argument then becomes you have Lillard. You're at least going to be like a league average team at worst, as long as he's healthy. So what do those picks become? Yeah. I mean, those are, yeah, those are probably mid first round picks. Um, right. Yeah. I, I don't think I do this. I would love to do this okay. if I was at the Knicks. Um, oh, of get, course. Get That'd a star in the door. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think if, if you're Lillard, it's also like is the Knicks next year, if that's the trade you make, are probably a worse team than the Blazers this year, <laughs> like roster wise. So if you're Lillard, yeah. it would be more about getting to that market and the idea that you could pick up another star in the summer of 2022, which I, given what we know about Dame, I, I don't know that there's any motivation to get to New York or L.A. here. Like I, I think it's more about just straight up winning. I think so, too. And yeah, New York would be a losing situation. Maybe you can get free agents, but I don't know. I mean, you're also you're going to the east and you're in the same town as Brooklyn. Like you're going to bump up against Brooklyn every year. Mm-hmm. Uh, like it's uh, that would that would be rough. Okay. Well, speaking of speaking of Brooklyn, how about Damian Lillard for James Harden <laughs> or Kyrie? One or the other. But I think James Harden would make more sense for Portland. So that's who I wrote down. Um. 
Uh, I mean, if Dame wants out, I'll take Harden. Like if if you know what you know what I mean. Like I wouldn't trade Lillard for Harden unless Lillard asked to be traded. Um, because I think it's horrible from a PR move. But like if Lillard's like I want out, I can get James Harden. Like yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll yes. Okay. This so this is one that I think would almost never happen. Like you said, almost entirely for PR purposes. But but here's the argument. James Harden has proven that with a fairly mediocre uh, supporting cast around him, he can get you 55 wins. And and fair or not fair, Damian Lillard hasn't exactly proven that. Like I, I think Harden is the better one-man show. I think Lillard is the better complementary player. Now, pairing Lillard with Kyrie Irving it doesn't make a ton of sense, but you you would have the greatest offensive backcourt, um, I, I guess maybe besides Stephen Clay. I, I don't even know how to judge that. Plus, obviously, you have Kevin Durant. Like I, I think Damian Lillard is the better complement to what you'd have in place in Kyrie and Durant. Whereas, you know, with Harden, we, we still never really saw how he truly fits in because of all the injuries. Um, and it looked like he was willing to, to become more of a distributor, but at the end of the day, he's a one-on-one guy. And I, I don't think he would be happy certainly to be sent to Portland of all places in this deal. But I think if you're Portland, you, you stay relevant, you stay competitive with James Harden, assuming he doesn't just retire as soon as this trade is announced. And if you're Brooklyn, I mean, you would have to, you'd have to do this one in a vacuum and remove, all of the friendships and PR and everything away from it. But I, I think Brooklyn's better with Damian Lillard than they are with James Harden. I'm going to disagree with you there. Okay. Uh, but I, I think it's just because Lillard and I think Kyrie, I think that's almost too, um, that's like too similar for me. I think, I think Harden, okay. Harden is a, a distinctly different player from Kyrie. Who's a distinctly different player from Durant. Um, I don't know, but I, I again, I think this is the probably one of the more far-fetched ones on the list. Oh yeah, I well, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, don't <laughs> don't speak too soon. But okay, um, I mean, is it fair to say that that is just a there's so much could go wrong for both sides that it just wouldn't yeah. be worth it? And like, the, yeah, and the payoffs like not even that. Like they're they're so close as players that it wouldn't even really be worth it for either side. Yes, I I don't. Okay. Well, I mean, if hey, if, I mean, if I'm Portland, I would love to do it. If mm-hmm. if Lillard demands to be traded then yes, I would love to do that. But uh, in other, any other scenario, no. Yeah. I think, I think we're assuming that he has at least, uh, you know, suggested that he would like to be traded in these scenarios. Like if you're, if you're Portland's like, you kind of are resigned to the fact that you have to trade him. So keep that in mind. Okay. All right. This is the one that I think, I, I think makes a lot of sense for both sides. I, I think it was, it's a, it's a pretty easy sell for, for Portland, you know, maybe not quite the, the caliber of player that you'd be hoping to get, but uh, certainly somebody that could grow and, and potentially be a, a, a maybe number one or one or B type of guy down the road. Uh, I think you sent him to Boston for Jalen Brown and you know any other young players on that team, uh, probably a few draft picks as well. Um, and if I'm Boston, I do this in a heartbeat. So I'm, I'm operating as, as Brad Stevens, I guess, in, in this situation. How do you feel about that on the Portland side? I think that one, I think to all, you know, without like looking at too much of the other list, uh, trades on the list, this one to me almost feels like it makes the most sense for both sides. Um, I would, uh, I think I would do this if I was Portland. I think this is, this is easy to sell to your fan base. It's like, Hey, we got Jalen Brown, super young, all-star, basically a proven player at this point. Um, and we get some picks. You know, it's, it'd be a weird fit. CJ McCollum has to turn into like a, a point guard probably, or maybe you try to, I get, Hey, Anthony Simons era starts now, baby. Um, but yeah, there'd be some other questions to answer on that roster. Um, but no, I, I think you're right. Like there, it's pretty hard to comb through the league and be like, Oh, here's a, here's a 23 year old or whatever. Jalen Brown is 24 uh, year old that this team is just like, you know, at least willing to trade. It's like, like, I wouldn't even consider like, they wouldn't consider trading Tatum, would they? No. No, right. Like it's, it, guys are either too good or not good enough where you're in like the Barrett category. And it feels like Brown is right in that sweet spot where if you're Boston, it's like everyone really loves Jalen Brown. He's a great guy. He's a great ambassador for the team. He's going to be a really good player. But it's very like it's pretty easy for me to, to see Jason Tatum being as good as Damian Lillard, you know, when Tatum is at his peak. When Brown's at his peak, I, I still feel like he'll probably fall a little bit short of that. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you there. I think. Tatum is practically untouchable because he has upside to be like one of the best players in the NBA. I don't really perceive Jalen Brown in that way. Jalen Brown has, you know, to me, he feels like he could be a perennial like third team all NBA or something. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but again, like these players never become available. Uh, your chances of drafting them super low, especially if you're Portland and you're, I mean, when you trade Lillard, your team is still going to be good enough to not be terrible. So you're not going to be getting like the fourth. I mean, maybe I guess the, the lottery odds are different now. Maybe you could get like the third or fourth pick. Um, long story short, I would do this. Um, this this kind of trade just doesn't come around that often. Your opportunity to get a player like this very rare. I think this would be a home run for Boston too. You know, I, I think yep. you're. It depends what else you're giving up. It's like, are, are you parting ways with Rob Williams? I mean, if you're Portland, I think that's that's a, a demand that you make and you probably get. But other than that, I mean, the, the Kemba thing was a disaster. Um, you know, they, they have some young players who you feel okay about, you know, like the Romeo Langfords, the Grant Williams, guys like that. But pretty much every one of those guys to me is pretty expendable. And even if you're you're maybe not going to have like the best team in the East next year, like going forward with Jason Tatum, you know, under a new contract and Damian Lillard, who has what, I think three more years left on his deal in the you know absolute middle, if, if not maybe slightly past the peak of his prime. Like, I mean, Tatum and Lillard is about as good of a duo as you can ask for. I mean, there, there are some other good ones in the league right now, but I mean, the the melding of the games, like the age of Tatum, like the way that, that, that they should progress these next few years. Like, I think if you're Boston, it's like, we'll just get those two in the door and figure it out from there. Yeah, because Tatum, Tatum's young, but he's good enough to where you shouldn't have to feel like you have you should be in a rebuilding phase or anything like that. Exactly. Like you should feel like you should go for it. And if you do that, maybe you still have Marcus Smart on the team. Um, and you have Al Horford now. So you kind of have like a more you have a well-rounded rotation, even if it's not very deep. Mm-hmm. It's it's well-rounded. And the way the league operates, like Lillard and Tatum alone, doesn't matter who you put around him, as long as they're average to maybe even slightly below average players in, in some terms, like you're going to be really good. That's that's a superstar pairing that's going to set you up really well. So if, if I'm Boston, I, I honestly wouldn't even think twice about this um, other than, you know, some of the temporary bad PR. Maybe that would come with with letting go of Jalen Brown. But you're bringing in Damian Lillard. So the people right. who are complaining <laughs> about that, I think you'd be more excited that Damian Lillard is on your team. Like this is not, you know, it's, it's not some mid-tier star. Like this is a this is a top seven or eight guy in the NBA. What about the Denver Nuggets? Should they choose to get involved here? I, I believe this was this was mentioned on the low post, so I'm kind of stealing this one. But uh, you, have, you have Michael Porter Jr., who could be on the table um, if Denver chooses to put him there. Personally, if I, w- if I was running the Denver Nuggets, I would do that in a heartbeat, much like the Jalen Brown situation. I feel like they're kind of on similar tiers. Um, but what about trading Jamal Murray instead? Instead of MPJ? Or, yes. Oh, or both. Uh... I, don't, I don't know if you can do both. I think if I'm Portland, I want both. Sure. Um, well, let's let's switch places for a second then. If if you were if you were Denver, would you consider that? Is it worth it to pair Jokic and Lillard? Is it that much of an upgrade from Murray? And you're losing I, Michael Porter, of course. Uh, it's tough if I'm also losing Michael Porter, but mm-hmm. I would be really tempted to do this if I was Denver. Just again, Jokic was the MVP, so you're pairing an MVP with. Lillard um like <laughs> that's that immediately becomes one of the best two uh you know one two uh, punches in the league plus you're recovering a lost year from Jamal Murray being out mm-hmm. if you're trading Jamal Murray so exactly that's huge too and um, if you're Portland that that is that kind of accelerates your tank you know it's like you have this asset but he can't play for most of the year and it, it kind of gives you a built-in reason to get the number two pick. Yep. And then he comes back the next year and you have a good pick potentially. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I think Murray for Lillard. That one's also realistic to me. Feels like it could happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, the equation is, is Jamal Murray plus Michael Porter greater than Damian Lillard? And I, I think long-term the answer is probably yes. You know, both of them are, you know, in, in, Porter's case, he's what, like seven or eight years younger than Lillard. Murray's like five or six years younger. Um, it's tough. I mean, the, the big thing is like Denver's window is is kind of open right now. Like you, you're going to have the reigning MVP next year and you you just might not really be able to contend. You're, you're, you're basically going to be counting on Jamal Murray to come back and like be 100% right away for the playoffs with the timing of that injury. So like there's motivation, I feel like, on both sides for for how that timeline works. But I mean, at the same time, this this would just be a kind of an insane blockbuster, you know, given the players involved. It'd be pretty cold blooded by Denver, too. But yes, I, I think um, I don't know. I honestly I think the lost year might just be worth it. 
to yeah. to just get Lillard. Even if even if long term it's the difference isn't that big, I I think you just got to make up this lost year when you have Jokic. Yeah. Right. I mean, and Michael Porter Jr. ended the year with back problems after making it yeah. almost two years, you know, without that. And I, I think that it's something I mean, to consider, at least. And if you could, I mean, if you could get like Covington back in the trade, like if you can get some of Portland's depth out of this trade, too, right. then that's that's more incentive. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think this this is maybe like the most purely fun scenario because I, I feel like it would be kind of a win for both teams. Like all of a sudden the 2022 Blazers with Jamal Murray back and Michael Porter Jr. and whoever they pick high in the draft that year, um, like I think they would, you know, kind of be set up pretty well. And I mean, just those two guys who have, I wouldn't say they're rivals. I think there's too much of an age difference, but I mean, they've met in the playoffs. They, you know, they, they play in fairly similar regions of the country. Like, I mean, that would just be a crazy, crazy, crazy reversal. So I, I, that's the one that I think I'm kind of rooting for most to happen just for fun. Um, what about the Chicago Bulls? A package built around Zach Levine, uh, a lot of picks. You're probably throwing, um, you know, any any young player that Portland wants in that one. Is, does Zach Levine really move the needle for you at all? If I'm, I think I'm interested in Zach Levine. If I'm, if I'm Portland, um, I mean, you know, 25 year old All Star, you know, can score 27 a game, in the East, um, I. It's interesting. It doesn't feel like it has the kind of upside that the other moves have. I also feel like Levine and McCollum is just like that. That feels wrong. Um, like, you know, that's <laughs> you're going to get like 55 a game from those two guys. And then also like six assists. Yeah, um, that would be a horrific pairing. I actually didn't even think about that. <laughs> we might just have to move on from this one. <laughs> I would love to do that if I was Chicago. Yeah. I mean, you're a big market. You finally get like you get someone like Damian Lillard in the door, um, him and Vucevic in the East. That's certainly good enough to make things happen. Uh, they have some young guys. Like maybe you keep marketing in that case. I'm not. I'm not really sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, so you mentioned McCollum, and we we talked about him kind of at the top too. I I think there is a world, and I, I know it is a little bit NBA 2K like, where you you know you could just flip the roster in five minutes and you know start a new season. But if they do go down the rebuilding path. I, it wouldn't shock me if, if CJ McCollum said like, look, I, I wouldn't mind getting out too. Like, I, I don't think he's the type of player who would like demand a trade, but I mean, does Portland really want to be paying him like the near max for a team that's trying to lose games? Like it, it doesn't necessarily make sense to even keep him around in that instance either. So I, I think there's a, there's a world in which both of those guys are, are on the table this summer. Yeah. I mean, they might be in a scenario. CJ might be in a scenario where he feels it out. Cause if like, if, if you're Portland and you trade, you get Jalen Brown then you should still be pretty competitive, right? I yeah. mean, maybe you yeah. make the playoffs. It's borderline. So I think I think he feels it out. Right. Um, and you want you want to put a team around Jalen Brown too, because he's now your guy going forward. You don't want to just clear it out around him, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. Uh, here, these are I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of announce these two together because they're actually they're actually no never mind we'll we'll go one by one. Okay. These are three that I just I don't think would happen, but I, I think there's an argument that they should happen. I'm just gonna put this out there. How do you feel about Drew Holiday or Chris Middleton plus Dante DiVincenzo plus whatever picks the Bucks have left to trade for Damian Lillard? Is, does that measure up to some of these other packages? Um, I mean, if I'm Portland and I'm like, I want to stay competitive, I mean, maybe I'd take, maybe, yeah, I, I guess I'd want Middleton. I think Middleton's a better player, but he he also, you know, again, then you're forcing CJ to play point guard. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or Escher in the Anthony Simons era, of course. Um, but that's intriguing. I mean, do the Bucks have picks even to give away at this point? I, I did not do the math on that. I think, okay. I think after this year, they might be able to trade like a very distant first round pick. I, I'm not even sure. I mean, that's, that's where this falls apart in a lot of ways. Uh, obviously the age of those guys, probably not super appealing to Portland. Um, but I, I don't know. I mean, I think Milwaukee has to lose or, or basically not win the finals for this to become realistic, but I mean, if I'm the Bucks, I'm at, you at least have to look into it. it. It would probably have to be a multi-team deal given their lack of assets. But, um, you know, they, they don't have a ton of future assets. They, they don't have a Michael Porter on their roster. They don't have a bunch of first-round picks anymore. But they they have players who are appealing. And Holiday and Middleton are at the top of that list. And, I mean, this kind of goes back to what, what I was talking about with Boston, where if you have the opportunity to pair Giannis Antetokounmpo with Damian Lillard, I, I think you're willing to go to whatever lengths it takes to at least, like, do all do yeah. all the dirty work and see if that's somehow possible. 
yeah, if on the Bucks, I mean, do I want to pay, you know, Drew Holiday $34 million a year for the next four years, or do I want to pay Lillard $50 million for the next three or four years? Like, I would rather pay Damian Lillard $50 million. Yeah. I, um, I also think Lillard's, like, the perfect compliment to Giannis. I would love that. I mean, <laughs> yeah, because the, yeah, he's, you know, I mean, Lillard's obviously incredible, mm-hmm. but, um, Yeah. I, I would well, do that. I, I think I this also this also speaks to how I mean you're you're a Bucks fan and right. this this like this team is on the cusp of making the finals and everybody's like yeah we should, I wouldn't really mind trading those guys. Well, it's an I mean it's an upgrade. I mean Holiday Lillard's a huge upgrade. They've gotten this far without Dante. I mean Lillard he makes up for Dante. If you have if you have Giannis and Lillard, I don't think you have any problems getting role players to sign with your team. Absolutely not. So you can lose Dante um oh yeah i mean that's i don't even that i didn't even consider like replacing him yeah you're 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 fine that that again you you get those two in the door and you if you have to clear everything out that's fine you can always fill out a roster well um, and they lillard and young actually seem like off the court too they would get along really well yeah or like they seem like they kind of have the same mentality um so i i think they would work really well as a pairing personally maybe maybe there's like a drew holiday to denver michael porter and Chris Middleton to Portland and a Lillard to Milwaukee deal to be set up. I don't know. That's that's just off the top of my head. Something like that. It could be. I mean, is that too much? Would you, like, is Holiday and Middleton too much? I don't know. I it might be. I yeah. I don't know, man. Maybe. Okay. I have to think. I think about that's that a fair one. answer, honestly. <laughs> I really have to think about that one. Yeah. It might be, and it also uh, might not be. Uh, right. So the other two, we don't have to spend you know five minutes on these by any means. But Lakers straight up for Anthony Davis, or straight up for LeBron James, straight him to Portland. <laughs> <laughs> I LeBron just want to know. Would retire instantly if that happened. I guarantee it. I just, well, I don't know. I maybe LeBron is like self-aware enough. Maybe he would kind of lean into it. Like he'd just become like a coffee and old vinyls guy. Uh, just like really lean into Portland culture and just kind of like make it a inside joke. And his, um, his Instagram would be a disaster. Oh, my God. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Um, <laughs> is the AD one more serious? I mean, would you get if you're the Lakers, do you consider that? I think the the durability differences are the main thing. I, I think they're they're similarly effective. I think. I mean, we've, we've already seen them win a title with AD, and he was dominant for that entire playoffs, and they looked really good, and I, I think they would have repeated if those guys were healthy. I really do, especially the way that these playoffs have gone since. Like, I, I think if they were fully healthy, they're, you know, they're cruising toward the finals. So it's, it's tough to break that up, especially since you've, you've already seen a title happen. Like, it's, it's not like this, can they do it? Like, they did it. So th- there's reason to not do it at all, but I don't know, man. I mean, like Lillard is, he's the perfect compliment to Giannis. He's the perfect compliment to really any wing who's a shaky shooter. And I, I think he's kind of the type of player that LeBron thrived alongside in Kyrie. And he comes with like none of the baggage that, that Kyrie brings. That's true. Yeah. I mean, we, he is a supercharged Kyrie. And those were the teams that I think a lot of times seemed like the smoothest for LeBron where he could, it was easier for him to take plays off or more effective for him to take plays off when he could defer to a guard. Instead of trying yeah. to like defer to a defer to a big and Anthony Davis, because, you know, like LeBron and AD, I, I, I loved it at first. I still think it's great, but it, I still don't like AD as like an ISO player takes too many jumpers for my liking. Yep. And for them to be used effectively, LeBron kind of has to be in every action as like a pick and roll thing. And now teams are more comfortable switching because you prefer LeBron shoot and you're not that scared of AD like doing, you know, like bodying, you know, whoever you switch onto him. And um, it would just be easier for LeBron to take plays off if Lillard was there instead of AD. And yeah. at this point in LeBron's career, I mean, that's sort of the priority, isn't it? Like mm-hmm. letting LeBron take, you know, like he'll be on the court, but letting him take 10 minutes off every right. game. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I think you're, I think you're right. This, this falls into like a couple of these that we've talked about, like the heartless category, like it would just be too heartless. You can't like trading Anthony Davis straight up would be, I, it, it would be pretty ruthless by the Lakers, but I, I think it would be a pretty good deal. And look, if you're Portland of all the guys we've discussed, like that's, that's the best individual player that you could get back. And I, again, I don't even think the Lakers put it on the table 
But if, if Portland if Portland calls up, you know, the L.A. front office and says, we will do this right now, you at least have to think about it. Yeah. Yeah, 100 percent. You do. This is one that I would love to, like, do an NBA 2K. Yeah. Um, this is like kind of the definition of a 2K trade. But I I don't know if I'm the Lakers. I think I'd, I think I'd lean towards doing it. But you have to you might have to solve some other issues like you might demand Nurkic right. or something like I, I don't know. Yeah. And the, that, that's all that I have. I, I had a few others, but I don't think we need to spend any more time on these. We'll, we'll probably be talking about it more than once over the next few weeks and possibly a few months. But the other thing that's that you have to keep in mind is the player and the reputation that we're dealing with here. Like they, they won't just send him anywhere. Like they will they will work with Lillard if it does finally come to this that he wants out. Like they're not going to send him, I don't think, to OKC or they're not going to they're not going to send him to Houston. You know, Detroit's not going to trade the number one pick. For Damian Lillard like they that's the other element to this is Portland is I, I think it's going to work out for them okay no matter what but they they are somewhat limited in their ability because they also have some PR worries you know here like they, they they can't be the team that you know ships him to Charlotte never to be seen again can't ship him to Sacramento for De'Aaron Fox um mm. no I uh <laughs> I, I think yeah you're right I, and some of this too it's like we love the Jalen Brown trade but does Damian Lillard want to go to Boston even right so, yeah, exactly. No, I think that's that's a great point. And I, I think he, right or wrong, is going to have some say. And I, I think I, I'm on the side that I think that's probably right. I think the way that he's there are very few guys who are in this category for me, but the way that he's like represented the team. And, and I think some people, if he does ask out, will say, well, he's now going back on everything that he's represented for the last 10 years. Um, but it, it just feels it feels so similar to the KG situation. And I don't remember a lot of people, you know, when it finally came down to it, I don't remember a lot of people bashing KG for for finally getting to a better situation when he was on the other side of 30. It's just, it's so tough, man. Like, there are so many factors that are out of the player's control in terms of who is around him on the roster, and so much of it is not anybody's fault. You know, like, when you draft a player like Damian Lillard, uh, like, you don't even know he's going to become Damian Lillard you have a roster around him. It's just like once it, once you set up a roster a certain way, it's so difficult to just to change it into a, a, a into forming into a way that is optimized for the player that you have. Right. It's difficult. That's why we talk about like, you know, why AD left or the issues with Zion currently. It's like Zion got drafted onto a team that was not built for him. But it's not easy to just suddenly within the course of like one or two years or even three years change that roster around him because you're going to have to keep when you trade for guys you're just gonna, you're going to get 75 cents on the dollar most of the time mm-hmm. um and you hope it works out from a fit wise but if it doesn't then you you both uh like decrease the value of your total assets and you've built a losing team and the star player is going to want out again so it's it's really hard i mean you know it's um sometimes it just like doesn't just the fate of it just does not work out for right. certain star players on their teams. And it's not necessarily anybody's fault. Yeah, those are all great points. And I think the difference maybe between this and the KG situation is other than a few times, like the, the Timberwolves were just committing like blunder after blunder after blunder to try to build a team around KG. You know, it, it was, I think even Timberwolves fans were like, we get it, dude. Like this team is terrible. Yeah. Like, please get out of here. Whereas with Portland, like like Lillard's certainly not to blame. He's played really well at virtually every playoffs. There's that one bizarre series where they lost to the, the Rondo Pelicans. That's like the one big blemish for him. But like they've, I, for the most part, everybody's like, yeah, I like these moves. You know, like they haven't made like this, what, like what the hell was that type of trade or what the hell was that type of signing? Like, it, the, like you said, like the, the teams around him have been pretty good. They've been sustainably a like four to six seed pretty much every year in the Western Conference, sometimes higher. They, they went to the West Finals two years ago. Um, but it just, you know, it just hasn't quite worked out. So I, I'm sure there will be, again, and this is all if it comes to this, but it does feel like it's heading that way. There will be some people who, who accuse him of, of kind of being a traitor and, and turning his back on this team that has done everything to try to put guys around him. But I mean, at the end of the day, like the biggest issue is like the more you keep changing this roster and, and you're signing guys and you're, you're, you're also trying to build chemistry at the same time. Like if you completely flip your roster every year, you know, you, you have to out talent everybody because some of these other teams have played together for four or five years. And, and, you know, that, that obviously means a lot in the NBA, but they're, they're kind of backed into a corner now where, especially being in Portland, you know, you, you could trade some of these guys, but you, like you said, you're not going to get a hundred percent return and you're also going to have trouble attracting guys to that market. 
Yeah, they're in a rough spot. And they, like we kind of mentioned before, they they have, like, I guess, they, is Nurkic's contract up? Probably could have checked in on that. Uh, I will I will look at that. I have no uh, they idea. have, he has one more year at $12 million. Okay. But then you have, you know, you have CJ there, and you have, you signed Covington, um, or traded for Covington, technically. I can't even really remember at this point. Last summer was all, like, a blur. Um, but, I, yeah. I, I, I don't know what you do, man. It's it, it's tough. It, it feels like the easiest thing to do after you trade a star is just rebuild. Like it, I, I feel like the fan base almost like needs kind of that breather. I, mm-hmm. I don't know how to explain it, um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, transitioning from star to star would be would be weird. Like if if they did the AD deal, it's like all right, we're I guess we're kind of back where we were. Like we still don't we still don't feel like we can win the title, but we have another superstar who's like just below the level that we need to win a title. Uh, I don't know. It's going to be really interesting. I, in some ways, like as, as just like a fan of the league, I, I kind of want him to go somewhere else because it'd be fun to mix it up and have a guy like that, you know, potentially be on a, a true title contender because for as, as sustainably good as Portland has been, it's never really felt like they've actually been in the mix. And I think he's reached that point in his career where he, he deserves a couple runs at it. Um, but at the same time, I mean, like you said, pretty devastating for the team that that's losing the superstar, which even if you get a return that looks good on paper, you know, almost always that team uh, ends up being the loser in that deal. I wanted to talk a little Team USA. We'll save that for later this week. Uh, I want to wrap this one up. Uh, but we'll talk about that that Team USA roster, just how things come together. I mean, the changes in how these rosters are constructed now versus four, six, ten years ago. Uh, they don't really have like a true big man. Uh, I guess Bam Adebayo is the closest thing uh, on that roster. But we'll dig into that later this week. Uh, we'll, we'll keep recapping um, Buck Suns, you know, game four tonight. Uh, and then we'll talk Suns Clippers later in the week as well. 